Hi, Creative Minds, and welcome to the Savvy Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Castaneda, and we are continuing our summer romance series with our guest today, who loves to bring diverse, inspiring, sex-positive characters to life and looks forward to the day when her daughter can read Beckoned and see herself reflected in its pages. She believes consent is a must, condoms are sexy, food is culture, and travel is mind-expanding. She combines her passion for Jane Austen's multifaceted, flawed characters with her love for food and travel to bring you Beckoned, slow-burned, second-chance romance inspired by food, travel, and Austen. She loves statement jewelry, rescue animals, and kind people, and hates talking about herself in the third person. (laughs) I won't make you do that here today. (laughs) Avocado toast, coconut lattes, and Korean spas are her favorite indulgences, and she is a diehard Angelino. And I've read the series, and I can tell you it's every foodie's dream. Welcome, Aviva Vaughn. Good morning. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Well, first, I got to say, you have a bomb mango salsa recipe (laughs) that I tried at the back of the book. Peligroso. Be careful who you make it for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I've I never... had I've had men stalk me after that recipe. Let me tell you. <laughs> with or the, did they like the heat with it? Without the heat? Huh? Do you... <laughs> you know, I usually make it without the heat, unless I know someone likes heat. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was without the heat. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, and, he, and he was a Brit too, so I thought I should go, you know, be gentle to him. Yeah, who knows if Brits are ha- be able to handle the heat, right? We're handling it today, as we were talking about earlier. It is hot in England right now. All right. Well, what I love about um, these books is that um, Angela and Elena, um, I did see myself in a lot of them. I dated these wealthy men who were a lot like Soren. I'm a single mom, and I have a lot of that spunky fierce that Elena had. Um, And then the younger me was a lot like Angela. So I really did connect with them both on this, like, insane level. And that's why I couldn't stop. Yeah, I couldn't stop turning the pages, which I I really loved about these characters. Like, they are so real and brought to life. So when you said in your bio that you wanted your daughter to feel, feel that, I mean... Tell us about creating those characters because they're they're so different, but yet a lot of the things that I felt as a woman were very similar. So tell us about creating them. Well, it all started. I'm a, I'm an avid reader, as I think every author is. You know, I am total bookworm. My parents never had to bribe me to read. In fact, one of my favorite stories when I was a little kid. Do you remember Scholastic? The they would come around and they would do the book fairs at school. Oh yes, and. I love the book fairs. I was the kid who would order $40 worth of books. And I remember one time I asked my mom if she would sign a contract agreeing to purchase every single book because it was just too hard for me to decide. And she signed it, no problem. I even had a little embosser and I embossed some foil on it to make it all official. I was so nerdy. To make it all official looking. And I remember when she signed it, I felt like I had tricked my mom into something. Like, oh my gosh, she's going to buy me every book I want. And I was so excited about that. And so I'm an avid reader. I have no idea how many books I've read. However... You know, as a woman of color, as a multicultural person, I didn't see the characters reflected back in me, at least visually. Obviously, there were things I could, you know, I could connect with Elizabeth Bennett's spunkiness, you know, all of the different um, character traits, but they didn't look like me. And when I became a mom, I had always written for myself, but I had never had the intent to publish. However, once I became a mom, I realized I can do for my daughter what hadn't been done for me, which was create characters that would reflect her. You know, so set in Los Angeles, you know, multicultural, foodie, educated. I wanted, you know, all the things that I want her to see. And then also 
the men that I wanted her to look for, you know, to look for the nice guys, not not the yeah, you know, sometimes I'm concerned about how men are portrayed in modern literature and what are we creating as what are we putting on a pedestal for women to look at? What are we telling them that they should be looking for? And so I wanted to create characters that I that I would want her to look for. But I also, you know, I'm the sort of person who I when I read a standalone book with characters that I fall in love with, I am so sad when I close that book and I'm like, that's it? Only 300 pages? That's all I got from that? That's, you know, it's just so sad. So I wanted to really give people the opportunity to get to know these characters, their flaws, you know, their fears, what they're good at, what they're not good at, to really understand them. Because I truly believe that if you give anyone enough time, you will come to understand and empathize with that person. The reality is most of us just don't give each other enough time, right? We write each other off so quickly. So I really wanted to give that to people. So that that is what Beckend is birthed from. And, you know, what they say, write what you know. And there's a lot of what I know in Beckend. That's all I'm going to say. Well, no, I love that. Like you said, I'm, you know, being a person of color as well. I do see that we need more Latina heroines. And then Angela's also, she's mixed. She's uh, Latina and Asian, too, which I really love this combination. And I have to say, one thing I just really love about her is that, like, she just loves food. <laughs> she just loves food. And I was like, yes, girl, yes. Oh, my God. Like, it is acceptable to eat and just absolutely love and enjoy food. And she just, she's so real in that perspective and just her pursuit of greatness like and her pursuit of her dreams like it's just so real and it's just kind of I feel like the things that I don't really show or I don't really talk about so that's what I loved about her I mean it really is like this book is uh the food scenes are like food porn words (laughs) it's great (laughs) it's funny because my editor she's she's amazing she's helped me so much but she's not a food person and so anytime there would be a comment like I think you're going a little too deep into the food here I like ignore (laughs) ignore no I want to taste the food and I love it when people say they taste the food and you know if you're not a food person you can gloss over the food but um, especially with Angela's books because books one through four are so much about Angela so there's a lot of food books five and six although Angela does appear in them they're more about Soren so the food's there but not not in quite the same depth yeah and I what I liked about books five and six was that Soren we see his maturity in that point too because in the first few books I was like come on Soren step (laughs) it up come on you know go after her I was just like really feeling that but then I'm like okay now I see who he is and that was my question too because romance this type of genre series is just kind of a part of it it seems like we don't want the characters to stop their romance we want to see their their life kind of go on to the next chapter as you said like we want more especially with uh soren and angela so um how did you know when their story stopped and when to continue and when to revive them (laughs) which i was like whoa what Well, you know, okay, so spoiler alerts, which I'm totally fine with, but just be prepared. I'm the sort of person who, when someone says, oh my gosh, there's this great book, I say, great, tell me about it. Tell me the ending. Tell me everything. It it won't stop me from reading it. Okay, so get ready. Spoiler alerts. So I didn't plan to write six books. I had this idea for one book. You know, even though I love series, it was my first book, and I said, I I can't, you know, I'm going to write one book. And then I realized that one book was two books, and two books was three books, and three books was four books. 
And then when four books was done, which felt like a really honest ending to me, right? Because there's not a lot of time period in the first four books. It takes place over the course of maybe 18 months. And Soren and Angela aren't even in the same continent, let alone city, for the vast majority of that time. And I wanted my books to be realistic. You know, I'm just, the, I'm the sort of person, I can enjoy the romances that are kind of more fantastical, right? Where it's just not very realistic. I can enjoy them, but I also in the back of my mind is saying, well, this isn't really realistic, you know? Uh, and so I wanted to write something realistic because I, I believed it was possible. You know, I believed it was possible to write this great romance and still have it be realistic. And so when I started writing, I realized that there just wasn't enough time for Soren to mature into the person he needed to be for Angela, right? Because Soren's come from this very wealthy family. He's followed this path that's been laid out for him since before his birth by his father. And, you know, that sort of person just, you don't grow a lot when you're that sort of person because there just aren't a lot of challenges. I'm, I believe that it's challenge that makes you who you are, that forces you to grow. And he hadn't had any of that. Life had been very silver spoon. He hadn't questioned anything. And that's his modus operandi. Even though he has this woman that he loves, he still is working under this program. And then when she, when he loses her, that's finally like, oh my gosh, I this is, this is who I am? He finally questions himself. And he couldn't become Soren 2.0, as I refer to him in books five and six. He couldn't become Soren 2.0 without that great tragedy. And... Then as I was writing book five, I thought, oh my gosh, Soren is so amazing. It's so sad that Angela will never see this. Because in my mind, he was going to end up with someone else. I, I, I don't want to say who. I think it's clear if you read the book who I thought he was going to end up with. But as I finished book five, I thought, oh my God, it's so sad that Angela's not going to see Soren 2.0, right? Because he has finally become the kind of person that she thought he could be and that he ne she needed him to be. And... I had even written about 20 or 30 pages of Beckoned 15 years later, where they reconnect at a school reunion and she sees who he's become. But I thought, oh my God, that is so sad. I mean, that's just like a tragedy. You know, I love Edith Wharton, but at the end of Edith, every Edith Wharton book, you're kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's so sad. And so I'm somewhere, I like to say I'm somewhere between Jane Austen and Edith Wharton. I'm not going to trash you quite as much as Edith Wharton, but I'm not going to give you quite as quick a happily ever after as Jane Austen. And so when I, I was, I had finished book six, but I wasn't happy with it. Really? It's no, amazing. Yeah. I wasn't happy with the ending. Okay. And so I pushed back the publishing date because that's the beauty of being an independent author. You can do whatever you want with that. I pushed back the date and then I pushed back the date again because I still wasn't happy with it. And then I realized that I wanted to change the ending. So I rewrote the second half of the book completely. And that's the book you see now. And I'm so satisfied with it. And, you know, at the end of book six, I have a dear reader note that kind of explains my thought process with it. But I really just don't think that I don't think that I could have had that ending if book four hadn't ended the way it did. Right. So so basically, for those of you who haven't read it, which is probably many of you out there, uh, at the end of book four, there's a love triangle and the man that Angela doesn't end up with, basically kind of like The Bachelor, he gets his own series, books five and six, except that they reconnect at the end. So the six book series is really one story, even though it might not seem like it is 
Yeah, and that's what I was, um, because I read uh, book one and book five first. Right. And I would have thought, like, they they were both perfect standalones. I kind of got, like, the gist of what was happening, and I could pick up anywhere in their relationship and continue the story just fine. And when I read book four, book five made sense, and I was like, oh, this could have been one book, book four and book five. And it just seems so, it was just, like, two different sagas. And then... Um, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, that's too sad. I mean, it would have just been too bittersweet had they not seen him. And I didn't think of it that way, that Soren did grow. But I I, I think it's just he finally understood her world. That's the thing. And it wasn't just meeting another beautiful Latina or knowing another mom. It was just that he was like, oh, wait, I'm cut off from the family. Oh, wait, I have to make my own money. And uh, I can't just order my security guard to come right. wherever I want. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm interested, actually, in your journey as an independent author because these uh, these books you produce them all yourself, everything yes. from top to bottom. Yes. And uh, like, tell us about how that journey has been. I mean, y- you said that you first got the idea, and the first book was done within weeks. The first draft. Yes. Least. Yes. So I wrote the first half of book one in ten days. I, it was the most amazing, just creative download from the universe ever. I remember sitting at my laptop typing with my eyes closed and my head lolling back because I was so tired. I was like, when is this going to stop? You know. <laughs> but I also didn't want to stop because I'd never experienced anything like that before. And then I put the ten, I put the half of the book away and I said, oh, my God, what was that? And then I you know, went on with regular life, wife, mother you know, my, my, my real life, my Clark Kent life. And then, um, I wanted to finish the book and so I finished the books. And the reason why the series is called beckoned is because it beckoned to me. I literally couldn't stop thinking about it. I wanted to know where Angela's story was going. And then I wanted to know where Soren's story was going, you know? And so I felt this sense of urgency. I wanted the books to be published in 20, oh my gosh, when, 2016. I wanted the books to be published in 2016. It was hard to hold off until 2017 to publish them. And I knew that if I took the time to find an agent and this and that and all of that, that it could take forever. I mean, some of my favorite authors are independently published because they were turned down by 100 agents. You know, especially having characters of color and I don't really fit very well in any genre, you know, because I'm way more, I guess I'm way more literary than the typical quote unquote romance. And, you know, that's why I changed my covers. The covers that people will see from the Instagram from this interview are my old covers. I actually changed them to look more literary. So because I didn't want anything to stand in the way of Beckon going out into the world, I decided that I was going to do it indie and I'm, you know, I, I have a business background, so I wasn't intimidated by the business side of it per se, which isn't to say that I figured it all out, but I just wasn't intimidated by that. And so, yeah, I just, um, you know, the cool thing about independent authors is that they're a great community. They're very giving they're kind of cowboys and we band together. And so you get great advice from joining any of the different literary groups that there are available. And so I got a lot of advice and, you know, I hired a graphic designer, found um, an editor and yeah, I wouldn't say, I, I have to say, you know, it's been two years and only now do I feel like the out, like my books physically 
resemble what's inside of them. You know, like when I'm, I'm looking at the old covers right now, I'm like, God, that's not my story. Like, what was I thinking? You know? So it's been a learning process along the way, of course, but you know, it's been, it's been interesting and fun and it's been true to my vision. You know, when I look at Beckend, I'm like, yes, this is, this is it. This is me. Are they perfect? No, they're still not perfect. I could probably edit them at least one more time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, that's, that would, that's what's keeping me from getting the, my novel out the door. But, um, I, everything that you said, like, first off, not having representation as a person of color, big thing, and then not being able to wait, uh, like you said, three years. And I think they would have changed a lot of your vision to make it pace like a normal romance or just, yeah, be kind of fit in with the genre. Yeah, less flowery, less food. Oh, they would have cut the food a lot. The editor would have just slashed all that, I'm sure. Exactly. (laughs) Like, I love beautiful language. Like, I swoon, Edith Wharton, I swoon over Edith Wharton's books. And I wanted it to be beautiful. And I also, and, and again, another reason I don't fit, right? So my books are more literary, but also like the sex is very explicit. And the sex is very explicit for an explicit reason, which is our sex education in the United States sucks. And I felt like if a girl or boy was reading my book, I would want them to come away with a real sense of this is how to have sex. Like, oh, a woman can have an orgasm too? Yes. Like, and she, she should have it first. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Not being a selfish lover. Hello. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, so that was very important to me. And I couldn't get that message across with behind closed door sex. And so, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, and, and the pace, absolutely. It's so much slower because I do want you to get to know these people. So this is not a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am sort of book. I, and every three, the, the first three books, I was like, come on, (laughs) come on. I'm like, come on. But it's three books. (laughs) It's going to happen. Yeah. No, but when it finally, when it finally did happen, I was like, oh damn, it is hot in here. (laughs) But what I love. Did you tingle? I did. I did. I tingled a lot. I was like, kids, um, don't bother me right now. My my son, I have teenage kids. So they came and they were talking to me. I was like, go away. (laughs) Go away. Like my mind is not there right now. (laughs) Nice. It's so hard. And it's, and just so you know, it's tasteful. Like it's not one of those sex scenes that you read and you're like, it's uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I've read a lot of those, but it's actually really tasteful. It's really wild and imaginative because I'm like, okay, I've had fantasies like this. And, like, I was connecting with them because they were having this, like, totally amazing sex. (laughs) Now, I have to ask you. And that hotel room really exists, by the way. Really? Oh, my God. I'm so, like, finding it. There's a picture in my Instagram of it. I've I've been inside that hotel room. Oh, wow. The one in uh, Spain, right? In Barcelona. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. That's a great hotel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, definitely book, uh, book when I go there. Um, so what, what do you think makes a sex scene uh, sex positive? Well, I would say that my idea of a sex positive scene has changed over the years because I've become more educated since I've published back in. Actually, there's a book that I highly recommend as the sex ed class all of us should have had, and it's called Come As You Are. And I just finished Come As... I read Come As You Are... I guess late last year, early this year. And so now my idea of sex positive, I think has changed. So to me, sex positive means one, there's, there's protection, you know, whatever there's two, there's some sort of understanding about what each other wants, either implied or explicitly discussed. Um, Three, you know, if necessary, 
like I'm not opposed to hookups. However, if you're hooking up with someone you don't know, then there is a long conversation, right? Like, so are you, have you, when was the last time you were tested? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have that talk. Like, I don't have those kind of characters in my books. But if I read a hookup scene and there's not any of that, I'm like, it's 2019. Like, how can you not have that? You know, I don't know how you can address female orgasm without addressing the clitoris. You know, it's like the clit, it's there. Use it. It has a purpose. It's called pleasure. Uh, so yeah, those are the things that, you know, there's no, there's no force. There's no unequal power dynamics to me. That's what sex positive is. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's smart. It's, um, reciprocated. That's Mm -hmm. what it feels like. Cause it's smart. Cause you're like, yeah, it's 2019 and yeah, yeah, we need to be smart. And then, yeah, the hookups, like, um, I know I write a, a lot about hookup scenes too, as well. Um, and then it's just the, you know, I really definitely feel like I never have the time to develop the character or to develop anything. And that's what I think is just so great about this slow burn. It's just the, you know, and the loss and everything is just so much more powerful. And you never them. tingle in a hookup scene. Like, I've yeah. read hot t- hookup scenes. I'm even actually sort of, I'm releasing short stories next. Um, it's coming out in a few weeks, August 10th, 2019. That's just, I'm not sure when this interview is coming out. But I'm writing kind of a hookup scene and I don't think anything actually, I don't think there, I don't think the deed's going to get done in the hookup scene, you know, just because that's how the story's going. But you just, you don't tingle in a hookup scene because tingling and, and tears, that's because you're invested in a character, right? Like, yeah. And you know, it's, um, when, when there's tears in the after sex, um, for, I think it's in multiple books. Mm-hmm, yes. And, um, I remember those moments where you just love the person that you're with so much that that does happen and yeah. I was like oh my god when was the last time I had that like when was the last time I really felt that with someone and it just I even started to get teary-eyed Aww. Um, no it, it did because I was like this is I think the lack of what I'm missing in my life I mean it's not just good orgasms I mean god when, <laughs> how much more could I have of those but it was um it was just like that connection and then I saw like oh my god that's why it was developed between these two characters and the love was like how they fell in love was just so strong, like through those pages. But yeah, that was a really powerful moment in the, in the scenes. Cause I, it really came to life on those pages. Aww. Yeah. I, I just tell you, I definitely felt that. Well, everyone talks about Angela and Soren, but I mean, I love Elena and Joaquin too. Mm-hmm. You know, their story is amazing and it, you know, it's very secondary to Angela and Soren's, but you know, I think what Elena and Soren do for each other is beautiful right they they honor each other they respect each other they're friends they revive each other yeah yeah but they also know what they're not to each other yeah and there's nothing wrong with that yeah and i think that's a part of the maturity as well because elena i really loved her she's just like this boss she's i I felt like she was a better businesswoman at first than angela because we didn't know angela's business sense uh at that point but I really love that she was just, you know, strong. And I, that's definitely how I felt as a single mom trying to get back into the world, not being with anybody. And I totally identified with her at that moment. And just the surfing, very real for those of you who surf out there. If you surf, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Falling off and, you know, almost drowning and things like that. Yeah, that, yeah. that was definitely very real as well. Um, and just the way she pushed um, Soren away, I was... 
it made me go back and think about my past relationships and how I had pushed someone away. Like it was very, that was very powerful. I really liked her, her character as well. Um, I love the surf contest too. <laughs> yeah, no, that was all, I mean, and it's having her son cheer for her and you know, everything. Yeah. And she, I feel like surfers and I don't know if it's just cause we live out here in California. We're so close to the ocean, but they just know when a wave is coming and you can see that in her mm-hmm. and she's like, pass, pass. <laughs> yeah. whatever pass pass and she just takes it she takes everything home and she's just like she's so she's smart and strategic yeah too. exactly yeah exactly. she's actually gonna show up because i'm writing a full length i think it's gonna be a standalone but who knows about uh nacho her brother and, and he's an interesting one <laughs> i love nacho so <laughs> i much. do i love him too he's just like the perfect like kahuna latino kind of big brother it's just hilarious yeah totally i totally imagine did you see moana no my kids are grown so i don't watch pixar movies anymore so there's a there's there's a character in moana that's maui the demigod right and he's he's played by the rock (laughs) and but he's got this long curly hair and just like i totally imagine maui i mean maui's a cartoon character so but i imagine maui as Nacho. But just... shorter. Yeah. 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 Little, yeah. Well, Soren's just a tall guy, but I guess he was shorter. Yeah. yeah. But Maui's like this. He's as wide as he is tall. So, you know, kind of just this block of a person. And Nacho's just so funny. And so um, it's cool because Elena and Joaquin are in Nacho's book. And you get to see who they've become, which I thought was really fun. And that's that's coming out. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I had originally planned on coming out in November, but... I want to do the audiobooks for the first six books, and I'm actually voicing the audiobooks oh, myself. Good. Yeah. So that's kind of cutting into my writing schedule. So I thought it's, it's tentatively called Beyond Beckoned, Roaring in Rio, and it was supposed to come out in November 2019, but we'll see. We'll see. How is the uh, – so I, I obviously love audio. I leverage audio a lot. How has that process been shifting over to Audible and having to, like, hear your own book – chapter at a time (laughs) i i'm enjoying it i mean i have a i kind of have a voice back a musical background so i'm enjoying doing the audiobooks and i i didn't want to do them because i'm not an actor and i spoke to some of my actor friends and you know i just realized that i hear this this these books so specifically you know, I'm a horrible audiobook consumer because I'm the audiobook consumer who, if I, if I don't connect with a voice, if I don't agree with the choices they're making, I will DNF a book so fast, right? And there are only, I would say, four audiobook narrators that I've heard that I'm like, that was flawless. I would not change a thing they did. And that, you know, there are only four audiobook narrators that I've heard where I thought that was flawless. I would not change a thing they did. I would like, I would like to hire that person, <laughs> you know? But, like, one of those people has passed away and another person, it's a man, so he's not right for the, you know. So I had been thinking about it. And then um, another indie author, actually Latina as well, I believe it was Mary Castillo, had narrated her own books and had success with them and thought they were good. And I reached out to her. And so I thought, you know what? I think I can do this. So I recorded about five minutes and I sent it to three of my super fans. And to one person who is not a super fan, but is an audiobook super fan. And so I sent it to these four people and I didn't, I didn't even mention that it was me. And I didn't do that on purpose. I just said like, what do you think? <laughs> you know, just like random like that. And they all were very positive about it. And I said, oh, 
by the way, I, m- I realized I didn't mention that it was me. And they're like, oh, my God, that's even better. And I said, okay, but, you know, I'm not sure how I'll do on the Scottish accent, right? Because there's a Scottish accent. Um, and the person who is an audiobook super fan, she said, you know what? Listeners, they give a pass to, to the author if they write their own book. Like, you don't have to be like an actor. Like, you can just kind of read the book. And so anyway, so yeah, so it's been going well. Unfortunately, summer has kind of messed up my production process because air conditioning units are so loud, you know, and so it's going slower than I want. So, but no, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I think it's fun because it's going to be exactly the way I want. (laughs) I'm a little bit of a control freak, I guess. No, I mean, and you're right. Like if we don't connect with the voice, that's it over. And it can be, you know, it's just like if it were a movie, it could be the director and the actor who would not portray the story right you know and i think that's kind of passing it off and to see it fly but yeah yeah (laughs) no i mean i love i love that you're doing that because um i do feel like just especially with romance because when you get to the sex scenes how are you going to do that through audio how are you going to do that through audio? I have no idea. <laughs> have you I, got there yet? <laughs> you know, I think I'm just going to read it. Hold on, let me see. I'm gonna. Let's. Yeah, you can read. I think. I think I'm just going to read it the way I would read it, right? So, it. You know, it won't. It won't quite be as accurate. Let me see if I can find that. Um. Oh God, I love the scene where they go to that resort. Oh my mm-hmm. God! So I have to say, <laughs> when I was in, I I love Costa Rica. In fact, I'm hoping to go back this year. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is uh, Arenal. Like, I remember everything. This is, <laughs> like, that's a real resort. Yeah. You can go there. Yeah, the uh, Tabacón, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was all very, like, I was. It, it just took me back. And then everything with London, too, a lot of it took me back. It was so vivid and descriptive. Yeah, I use a lot of real places. L.A., too. Like, I was like, oh, my God, I've been to that bar. <laughs> the liquid know. kitty yeah exactly well it's right here in west la right? yeah it's well just close. Like down the street. it closed yeah, like used three to be. years ago yeah i know well i used to work down the street at um at a company in santa monica so it was like right off pico and exposition so i was like right there yeah 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 a lot of these places are real i didn't name you know some of the small like naturalistic places because you know especially in la there's so many of us here that can get overrun so i didn't want to do that but yeah, a lot of the hotels and restaurants are actually real places. Okay, I can't find this. That's okay. S- the sex scene. Cars. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's funny. I haven't read this book in a while. So, um, oh, the Spanish subjunctive tense. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, well, I'm interested in, so you wrote back in like the first half in 10 days and then you finished it in six, six weeks. And the other books, uh, as you mentioned, they took a little bit longer. I'm actually curious about how you stayed so focused to turn. I mean, so the first one was in 2017 and you have six out total and it's only 2019. So how in the world did you get all six books through? That's impressive. <laughs> I'm I'm glad I'm glad you think that's impressive. I felt like it was slow. <laughs> no, I I mean I I'm barely I'm on my fourth draft right now of a novel, and I'm I feel like it's it's going to be more more time. So, but you got six out within two years, so I feel like that's pretty impressive. I mean, I guess this partially goes to my process, right? I really write almost every single day. I tried to write for. My goal is a thousand words a day. It used to be, I used to 
be I used to have higher goals in terms of my word count, but then I read something about I think it was about Nora Roberts who she said that she shot for a thousand words a day and look how prolific she is. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I had been a little bit more hit and miss, you know, maybe I would write 3000 words one day and 200 words one day and then not write anything for a couple of days. And so now I'm just to the point where I'm really disciplined. I write a thousand words a day, at least five days a week. You know, I have a child and a husband, so sometimes I take a couple of days off here or there. And so I think that's part of it, just committing to a thousand words a day. I don't edit and write at the same time. I just basically, I vomit onto the page and then I will go back and look at it later in the night. I will edit those thousand words, which I think helps me be faster because if you give it an edit one time, you know, right away, then it's a lot easier to edit a thousand words than to edit 70,000 words. Right. Yeah. And I think that's um, when when I saw that you did that and that was your practice, I was really intrigued by that because, yeah, you go back to the whole manuscript and then guess what? You have 70,000 notes. Like, you know, you have notes for all 70,000 words. That's what I meant. And then you're overwhelmed. You're lost. You're stuck. You're like, okay, that's when you need that month to breathe because you're just like, what do I do now? Yeah. But when you said that you did that, I was really curious because I thought, okay, you write in the day, some point of the day, you edit at night, which I feel is um, interesting because my mind's kind of tired at night. Usually at night, it's like when I scroll on social media and stuff. <laughs> and um, and then you set up your day, your, your next writing day before you go to bed. Right? right, right. So either I end the scene when I stop writing for the day when I still know where the scene is going, or if I finish the scene, then I'll say to myself, okay, tomorrow I'm going to write blah, blah, blah. Go to work, brain. <laughs> you know, I, like, I literally will tell my brain, like, go do this. And actually, that's what happened when I decided to change the ending in book six. I said, okay, I will, I will bring Angela back into the story, brain, if you can figure out a believable way for it to happen. You know, because I love Kieran. I mean, love. He's so hot. I was like... <laughs> Where is this guy? Where can I find him? I'm going to Melrose right now I, to oh. find him. <laughs> I mean, I love Soren. Don't get me wrong, but I love, I, I love them both. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd take them both. But no, I loved Kieran. I mean, I, and I loved Kieran's dichotomy, right? Like this triumph motorcycle riding children's bookstore owner who meditates twice a day and has been celibate for years. Like that was an interesting twist. I was like, oh man, <laughs> what an irony right there. I was, when I read that, I was like, oh, damn. And I, yeah, like he was so hot. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that to Soren. I mean, to Karen. And the interesting thing was my mom, my mom was like, I, I'm still mad at you that Angela and Soren aren't together. My mom was, my mom was mad at me. And I said, well, I would like them to be together too, but then I'd have to off Kieran. And, you know, I love Kieran. I don't want to do that to Kieran. And so when I, said to myself okay you're the author you can do whatever you want this is your universe and I said to myself okay but it has to be believable I have to believe it I can't be some like I'm like Kieran's not cheating on her no no none of that stuff you know cliche yeah Yeah. and and I was like and Soren's in effing New Zealand how how do I get them to meet again you know (laughs) they couldn't be any farther than Los Angeles and London yeah yeah yeah. Los Angeles and New Zealand. Woo! Make it even farther. Yeah. And so I, I said to my brain, brain, if you can figure out a way to gracefully bring Angela and Soren together, then I will consider it. 
And literally I said that and I didn't sleep like the night. It was like, you know, it was like one of those like sci-fi movies where like the person's tossing and turning in bed and it's just like, you know, just overlay of black and white images and like, like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, right? In the tornado. You, yeah, yeah. When the tornado. Like that was me. I was like, what? No. Like I couldn't. It was crazy. I got no sleep that night. And then I got super sick because basically I just was couldn't stop writing. It was it was basically like the 10 days again. Like my brain was like, OK, you asked for a solution. Here you go. And I started writing. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. OK, yeah, this is good. OK. Uh huh. And so I completely rewrote the second half of six in like, a, you know, 15 day period, something insane. And yeah, that's how it ended up. And I forget where we were going. Oh, my pr my process. So, yeah. I really believe in the power of the subconscious mind. You know, I think the answers are all there if you're just open to tapping into them. And when I look at book six, I, I was like, I could not, I could not have logically thought through that book. It had to be this sort of inspiring subconscious sort of thing. Like I, I'm so proud of book six. Yeah, no, this is fascinating because it's, it's like you have independent author. You have the freedom. You're like literally convincing your mind and convincing yourself and talking yourself through this. H had you always done this? Like how, how, have, has this always worked? Because I feel like if we, because it's not necessarily like you're calling on the writing gods and the muse to come and give you, like, like you said, download the answer kind of like when it first comes to you, this is like you walking yourself out of it and and it happened like it literally happened that night that's fascinating I wow. mean I've always believed in you know I think I when I was really young I was like I'm a I'm a Catholic Buddhist that's what I am like I think I was 16 or 17 I was like you know I believe I I went to a really progressive high school where we actually learned world religions and I remember when I found out about Buddhism and reincarnation and you know and Atman Brahman, I was like, yes, that makes sense to me. I'm a part of something larger and I can tap into it anytime I want. And so I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind. But I don't, I just do like, I've always done things like, especially like if I lose something, I'll say to my brain, like, okay, brain, find me my checkbook. I know it's somewhere. And I, this happened the other day where I lost my checkbook for like three weeks. And I said, okay, brain, find me my checkbook. And I said, God, I, I, you know, maybe a day later, I had the strangest compulsion to clean out this drawer that I never clean out. And I was like, okay, I'm cleaning out this drawer. And sure enough, my checkbook was in there. Right. And I must have put it in there in some like random distracted because it, it doesn't belong in that drawer. And I've always done that sort of thing. Like, okay, figure out blah, blah, blah. And um, it's interesting because now that we know so much more about the brain, I'm, I'm, in, I'm really into brain science. Now that we know so much more about the brain, we know that, oh, well, actually what you're doing is you're getting your subconscious mind to work, you know, in the background. It's actually called incubating a problem in psychology when you say, ask your subconscious to work on it. And um, so it's something that I've always just intuited and only now actually, I literally just found out that word incubating the problem. I just found out yesterday because one of the short stories I'm writing, the woman is a molecular biologist and so she, she makes that sexy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She studies, um, she studies the expression of dominant and recessive genes. And so she explains to her love interest about this idea of incubating the problem. So yeah, I've kind of always done it. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know why I was doing it. It just made sense to me and I knew it worked for me. And same thing. I had heard that Hemingway ended scenes 
he ended right his writing periods before the scene was over so he would knew where, know where he was going but there's just some times when i didn't know where my story was going i'm not a plotter really you're not well i mean i could definitely see the character driven uh the character driven aspect of it but you're not a plotter it i'm seems not very a tight. plotter <laughs> i am not a plotter <laughs> i am i am i have i never would have guessed yeah, I have very, I have like, let's say my series of 100 miles, right? I have a 25-mile marker and a 50-mile marker and a 75-mile marker, but that's like it. I don't know anything else that comes in between. I don't, characters' names, nothing. Yeah. Like, and sometimes I'll come up with something and I'll be like, ha, ha, that was good. Like, like the yacht being called the bane of your existence. Like, I was like, where did that come from? That's just, that's very funny. And Nacho coming up with his name. I was like, why did you choose Nacho? No idea. But I remember, I forgot what his full name was, but I remember it was something. Oh no, Ignacio. It's Ignacio. Ignacio. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I guess that could make sense. Did you, did you catch Elena's soul and the fact that. Soul sister. Right. Soul sister. And also, right. Soren's always referred to Angela as his son. And so, uh, I didn't think about yeah, that. I'm very like I pick when I do come up with a name. Like, there's always like three reasons, right? Because originally it was Elena Luna, and I changed it to Elena Soul. Oh, because uh, she would have been the opposite of Angela. Yeah. Well, no, I just like the sound of the word Elena Luna. Actually, oh. I don't know where you know. I don't know. It just came, and then someone said to me like Luna and Lund are only one letter apart, right? Soren's last name is Lund. Oh, that's right. And they said that could be confusing, and I was like, "Damn it!" But I like the name Elena Luna. And then I was like, Elena Soul. Oh, wait a second. Angel's always been his son. Oh, and then Soul Sister. So, yeah, it seems like there's some grand scheme. It, yeah, it's just I don't know. My subconscious brain was just, I guess, working on it in the background, you know. But, um, no, I'm not a plotter. Sometimes I think I should become a plotter. But I've, lo- I've loved how my, I loved how Beckon developed. So, I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure my process will change. Does it, you feel like it changes with every book? Or shifts, I guess, whatever. With yeah, I mean, just like anything, right? You learn along the way. You say, oh, I'm going to do that differently. Oh, I'm going to do that differently. Like, what What are some things you learned along the way with Beckin? Well, I learned the appropriate use of hyphens. <laughs> 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 Apparently, I've been using them wrong for decades. You know, I didn't, I'd been using those wrong. Um, what? I don't even know what that would be. Like, <laughs> for ending pages or no, like lines or something? So, a six-hour drive, uh, right? Yeah. There's a hyphen between six and hour. Uh-huh. I thought there was always a hyphen between a number and... The thing. So if you said, like, I'm going to run for six hours, I thought there was supposed to be a hyphen there. But no, it's only when it becomes an adjective, right? Six hour drive. It's modifying drives. Like, (laughs) I hate grammar so much. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. But so I so I've learned that stuff. Um, Now I'm much better at catching myself because there's this thing that every writer, I think, does where you use a word and you're like, oh, that's a good word. And then because you've decided it's a good word, you'll use it like five more times in the next page. And it echoes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're (laughs) like, wait, I just. (laughs) And so I'm better at catching myself doing those things. Um so, yeah, so my process definitely changes, but, you know, I, I might become a plotter because I actually, I just had this idea the other day and I feel like this new series idea, which, um, is kind of more YA it. So the idea is very new. I mean, literally I just had this idea 48 hours ago and it, 
I'm thinking about two girls who meet at like Venice High, uh, both Mexican American, but one, you know, her parents are academics. And so, you know, that kind of like hipster vibe that's down there. And then the other one being, you know, more working class. And their experience growing up in 2017, 2018, 2019 with, I'm going to imagine that CSE, which is the acronym for Comprehensive Sex Education, has been instituted into their school and sort of how the culture clash between what they're learning in school and what they've learned at home and what, what they each learn so they can like lean on each other. Yeah. And that's very real for, I live, Venice is actually my neighborhood. So you do have hipsters everywhere hipster families everywhere and then you have you know like uh, migrant families living yeah. in the same building yeah and you have the conservative side where they don't let the girls date till they're like 21 yeah <laughs> and then you know everyone where it's just like let's be open yeah yeah so I have this idea of these two girls you know being best friends meeting at Venice High living in the same zip code and yet like worlds apart in their experience and then comprehensive sex education and you know what does that mean because you know one of the arguments for comprehensive sex education is that this knowledge about how to protect your body how to advocate for your body how to advocate for your pleasure is a human right in Europe it's considered a human right and that because it's a human right it needs to be taught in school because not every parent is qualified to teach the subject you know and you know in some parts of Europe it's it starts in kindergarten sex ed Right. And so I just think of, you know, what would a what would a girl who, you know, who's first generation, had a quinceanera, whose parents haven't even talked to her about sex ever and is now being told, like, you have the right to ask for an orgasm, (laughs) you know, like how would that blow her mind? Um, And then, you know, the girl whose parents are hipster academics, just because they're hipster academics doesn't mean that they're any better at talking about sex. They might be too technical or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or they might've been like, well, I, I mean, here's the reality. We tend to do what's done to us, right? Like, Hey, I had one talk. It lasted 30 minutes. Work for me. I'm going to give you the same thing. Right. And that's just not how comprehensive sex education happens. So anyway, so I have this idea and because there's such specific things I want to do, like I want to interweave the immigration issue. Oh, there's so much politics you could add. Exactly. Right now. Exactly. Not just that the abortion issue that happened recently and oh my yeah. God. So yeah. So I want to interweave all of these things. And so I'm thinking I might try and plot it. However, I mean, back in, you see, I interweave a lot, like I interweave like the tsunami in India into it, you know, nine 11 is in it. And I did that without plotting, so I'm not sure. We'll see. But it, they're very, they're very subtle. Like 9/11's only in there because they're walking through the airport so much, you know. And we do remember, like that was like a where were you moment. Yeah. And we remember the aftermath, but it was very, it, it wasn't like heavily political or anything. It was, but it, you could <laughs> sense the danger, like you could sense the tension of being in the airport with machine, you know, guards with machine guns. And it changed things, right? Because yeah. in one book pre 9/11, he like walks her to the. I know, I noticed that. Gate. I was like, wow, that might have been... I was like, that must have been a while ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I was like, that doesn't happen anymore. You nope. can't do that anymore. You can't do yeah. that anymore. Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting, too, thinking about all the technology, right? I know. How it's different it is in only, what, 15 years or 16 years? You know, from, like, she used a camera with film 
She had a flip phone with text. You know, she couldn't she couldn't call him back. She had to email him. Yeah. yeah. Like remember email, those days? Yeah. And email was really slow. And he was they there's even a sweet point where they uh, they find letters to each other in some of the books, which I thought was still like oh a little gosh, sweet. I think it's a sixth book. Yeah. <laughs> or she finds his letters or something like that. They find. Letters oh, yes, yes, yes. They're writing back and forth because she didn't give him. Um, or no, she gave him his email, but he sent her a letter. Yes, he sent her yeah. a letter. And Kieran sent him a letter, too. Same thing. Very oh, yes. Nice. Kieran yeah. sent an invitation to him. Yeah. So it's it's still very sentimental in that in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Because I, you know, it feels <laughs> just like beckoned, beckoned to me. This new series idea is really calling to me. And I'm like, but I have all these other stories I need to write. I mean, I have so many stories in my head. How do you manage that? Because I have I have my bucket list of the fourteen novels that are like a must do in my lifetime because they they're important to me. So how do you manage your your story list, I guess, or your story ideas? I don't feel like I do yet. <laughs> well, I don't manage them either. Like obviously, <laughs> I mean, I don't think we ever do, but they they're in us, right? Yeah. Like they're we still see like this character and that character and the city and the scenes. I don't know. I'm I'm really messed up too right now because so the short stories that I'm writing three or four of the short stories featured Beckon characters mm-hmm. and they could easily turn into their own books and like I I'm really good at falling in love with whatever I'm writing at the time. So, I don't know. I just have to figure it out. I actually I one of the short stories is features Soren's sister selena is that the one with the kid no that's no, the other that's the older one. sister yeah. the older sister selena and conrad who really yes who has always been the love of her life which is why she's always been single and that's the security guard the security oh yeah. wow yeah okay i'm gonna have to read that one all right so let's talk about <laughs> uh romantic short stories so yeah because wait that guy's 50 right yeah wow <laughs> But I mean, she's 39. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. So she's not like spring chicken. That's not too. Well, actually, yeah, I think that would probably be, I'm 38, so that would probably be like what I'm close to. Well, plus like, you know, the age range kind of tightens up. And I mean, she's, she's looked for other people. I mean, there's this one line where she says like, I've looked for your equal and I haven't found him. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. How do you make like the, the lines when people are expressing love, they, they're tasteful. Like, they're not like, oh, God. You know, like, they're actually, like a rom-com movie. They're actually very, very good to where I feel like people would say, I mean, that's that's really good dialogue. It's <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I have no idea. It just comes. It's yeah, just, this yeah. is, yeah, this is what comes out of me. It's, it's interesting because right now I'm reading Stephen King's On Writing. Yeah. Very and, good book, yeah. Yeah, I'm, and it's interesting because I always have to filter things through you always have to filter things through, well, what the advice that the person's giving you, what are they writing, right? Like he writes horror, suspense, you know, and it's so different from what I write because I feel like I'm almost painting with words and, you know, I, I, yes, I could say it in one sentence, but the three sentences is what adds that definition to that scene. It adds the texture and the contours and the highlights and the lowlights you know, I'm not satisfied with one sentence. I, th- I think painting, I've never said that before to myself, painting with words. I feel like that's a good description of what I do. You know, like I could have written shorter, more concise stories, but then it wouldn't look or feel the way it did. 
so that's just how they sound to me, those those people. And I mean, really, I'm just like, I would Nacho cracks me up. I'm like, wow, Nacho, you're so funny. Like I know. Well, the whole not the brother sister thing where they're just like, shut up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, come on, May. You know, they just keep saying that. It's it's hilarious because we all know those quirks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the romance short stories. Now, you you did a slow burn with Beckend and yes. the hookups don't work, right? Or they're not as strong. So how did you, how is crafting a romantic short story different than your just typical short story? Well, so I think my short stories are much more like I there's something I want to accomplish in them. So for instance, one of the short stories is a couple who's been married 15 years and is just trying to bring some zest back into their life. Right. So it's not slow burn per se, but they have a well-established relationship. Right. Um, however, I think, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting because people might be really just pissed off by my short stories because they might just really be a bunch of cliffhangers. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know. Um, my original idea with the short stories was just to because I it takes me a while yeah, you know, I don't I don't write more than four full books a year. And really, four full books a year means that I'm not being the kind of um, parent or wife that I want to be. And so I think two to three is really more realistic. But the short stories, because I don't have to think them through as fully, you know, I could put out one or two books of short stories and kind of, you know, keep readers knowing that I'm alive and writing. And so it'll be interesting to see how people receive them because... I wouldn't say that they're like a complete beginning or an end. They're just a scene. They're a chapter, you know, and at the end, I'm going to ask people like, well, who do you want to hear more about? Do you, you know, do you like, um, Angela's cousin has a short story. Da not Dahlia. What's the other? Not Dahlia. That's her best friend. No. no um, so Teresa has a story. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. Aaron. Aaron. Good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Aaron has a short story because at the end of book six, I, so I've actually started Dahlia's story. And Dahlia's story, um, there's a scene at the end of book six where, you know, the wedding's happening and Dahlia and Aaron are talking and Dahlia says to Aaron, like, why don't you come to L.A.? Like, Angela's house is going to be empty, you know? So Aaron moves to L.A. and she actually works in public radio. And, um, like, I, I, I totally want to write her book. But then, like, Selena and Conrad's story, I love that too. And then Therese also has a story in my short story thing but it's 15 years after book six and she's divorced with two kids and Angela flies in from New Zealand to help her move into her new place and is like you're getting back out there into the dating scene and so they go and they do a speed dating event at a bar <laughs> and Angela takes off her ring and is like I'm gonna vet all these guys for you you know and um, I love that too so yeah I don't remember where I was going with that but I don't know. With all I, the character stories. Yeah. Who do you want to hear more of? Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. So. I fall in love with whatever I'm writing, which is really dangerous. So I don't know what I'm going to write. And actually, I'm actually planning on going away for an extended period of time later this year. And I've had this idea that I've been working on for like 15 years, which is um, loosely based on a, my, I call it, I call it Gone with the Wind set in Mexico. Oh my God, I love that. So it's not the same time period because it's like 1900s to 20th century, but it's about land and yeah. greed and lies. That's when um, I know. So I grew up in Texas. So that whole time is, you know, when like the, the Alamo and well, maybe it's a little bit uh, later, 
but that's like a huge you know that that was like a huge um battle with the mexican aristocracy and the americans mm-hmm. and the texans like all of that coming together so we spend like in texas we spend like years in school learning that because it's we spend a, like a year on the alamo alone oh wow well, how interesting yeah but there's there's a lot of really great love stories based on the alamo because of that divide of like the americans falling in love with the mexican and then the indigenous people are pushed to the side so it's very racist at points you know so there's a lot of there's a lot of that um and yeah like the that that historical romance and the wars going on at the time mm-hmm. um just over and over i mean that's probably is that's where it's go that is that what drove your idea well it's all based on this story about some land that was stolen in my family mm-hmm. and the fact that you know the story my dad told me was different than the story i heard from my aunt and uncle you know and then when i went down and i saw where my my grandfather is from this teeny tiny town that I mean, literally a one road dirt town, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And when I realized that I was two generations from this town, it was just like such like my mind was like, what, you know, and just wanting to to write a story that kind of just encapsulates, you know, the story of a family, the story of the lies we tell, the lies we tell ourselves yeah, so I don't know. And then I have this idea about writing a book about chocolate. <laughs> More food. Yay. I'm all over the place. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know what's going to come out next. Oh, and I have this really fun story, I think, that's kind of, um, it's, you know, I love magical surrealism. Because, that's, yeah, very, very, I feel cultural as well. Yeah, it's very, yeah. I mean, it's very South American. Yeah. Although, you know, I think if you haven't read magical surrealism, you know, and you've read fantasy, like you might be like, oh, you know, because there's some fantasy where it's set in, mo- it's like everyday life, but hey, there's a fairy over there, you know? So I don't know. It's, but or it superheroes, is, yeah. but, def- but definitely, you know, the best known magical surrealists are South American, right? And, and so I have a magical surrealism book that I'm working on that's set in Ireland, actually. And I really, I really like that book too. And I have like 30 pages of that. I have like 30 pages of so many different books. It's, so how do you know which one to finish? Like, because that's the hard part, right? It's like, when we stop it, are we procrastinating or what are we doing? Well, Beckend really called to me. And then sometimes, like, I'll have this scene idea for, you know, my magical surrealism book or my Gone with the Wind book. And then I'll work on that scene. And then I'll feel like, okay, I'm kind of done with that. And because I'm going out of town soon and because I'm going to Mexico, I was like, well, since I'll be there, maybe I should really just work on that. And, you know, I had originally been trying to... I think one of the challenges with being an independent author is that because you're the business side of it, you always have in the back of your head, like what's best for my business. And I had been under the, I had been under the assumption or under the understanding had been that if I published quarterly, that that would be better for my business because of the way algorithms work, you know, and someone recently disabused me of that and was like, nope, that's old information. Really? So, so pub- getting a book out on a certain timeline and, and just cause companies like businesses, quarterly goals, what are we doing? Right, quarterly right. OKRs, quarterly this, quarterly that. So that sounds very, well, I mean, I think yeah. it's good to have deadlines just to keep you moving forward. Yeah. Right. Otherwise you'll just keep, keep working on it, you know? Um, however, like I had been under the impression that like, no, this was a real thing that would actually help me. And now that that's, now that that's not the truth, 
I was thinking to myself, well, maybe maybe Roaring in Rio won't be my next book. Maybe, you know, my Gone with the Wind book will be my next book. Or, um, So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, you know, I think the thing is, is I'm a new enough author. I don't have, I mean, I have, I definitely, my super fans are like, keep writing Beckend, keep writing Beckend characters, keep writing Beckend characters forever. You know, and I appreciate that. Um, however, I do think, you know, I have to, I have to be interested in what I'm writing, and these other stories really call to me too. And definitely, there's a traffic jam on the 405 of my creative brain <laughs> right now, <laughs> so I need to figure that out. I don't know. Yeah, hope that clears up. It's yeah, always a traffic jam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm really proud of Beckend, and right now I'm still just kind of like allowing myself to savor. The fact that I, you know, birthed this thing that four years ago I wouldn't have even imagined was going to come out of me. I mean, I think at, on Instagram I had this like, oh my God moment where I looked at my six books. and I was like, I wrote those. That's crazy. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like looking at a child. You're like, what? where did this come from? Yeah. No, holding it, everything. It's just, yeah. How do, how do you know... Um, how do you know when to choose between your super fans wants and what you know you need to write? I don't think that I know that yet. Um, however, I also don't feel like I have enough super fans that it's a, that it's a force yet. Right. Like right, right now I'm like, well, that's great, but there's only, you know, so not many. enough to sway your decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a, a ton of reviews. Like I was, um, when I was leaving a review, I was like, whoa, look at all these. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's been, I think, so. you know, it was interesting. I was talking, not talking to, I wasn't, I was talking to Brenda Novak. Yeah. I'm not saying that like, oh, we, we were, name drop here. Now, yeah. Like, <laughs> we were out, we were shopping and no, it wasn't like that. It was, I, we, I was at a writer's event and I cornered her <laughs> after her keynote. And I had just, I said to her, I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm concerned that I'm so outside of what's considered normal romance that people aren't going to find my book. And she said to me, she said, you know what? It might take longer, but the beauty of writing something that's really unique is that your fans are going to be ravenous because they're not going to be able to get what you give them anywhere else. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. And so I've really helped. I mean, I have people who have read my books more times than I've read them. And that's amazing to me. Or... You know, I had someone the other day who said, I just read your book, all, the whole series, all six books, twice in one month. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Or, you know, when someone writes me like, I, I wrote, I read your, all your books in three days. Um, you know, that's incredible. And that's like, oh, I really touched someone. That's fantastic. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm just staying true to myself. I know I don't really sound like anybody else. And that's just going to have to be okay. And my fans will find me. Although I did read someone the other day that I felt like, we were philosophically aligned, even though her style is very different, which is, um, she's also an indie author. Her name's Penny Reed. I don't know if you've read any Penny Reed, but she calls her, her book smart romance. And it's interesting because I call my books empowering romance. And, you know, there's definitely, that. Yeah. there's definitely that similarity. You know, she has very smart, educated, empowered women as her characters. And she also writes, you know, steamy, very steamy. And so I felt like, oh, well, but she's more rom-com. Um, but I definitely feel like there's an affinity there. Like, I think people who like her books would like my books. But, I, yeah, I'm not as funny as she is. She's very funny. 
Yeah, mm. smart, funny, clever, funny, or just like laugh out loud rom com funny. No, smart, funny, clever, funny. Clever, yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. Like, clever, like funny. Mindy Cowling or yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Nice, nice. I think I've seen a picture. Maybe did you share something about her on Instagram? Yes, because I, I was I saw something. Yeah, that name sounds familiar now. I'm yeah, I was listening. It. I was listening to um, law uh, her laws of chemistry series. And I, I was, yeah, so I pissed on Instagram about it. And it's great. The narrator is definitely one of those narrators. I said, like, oh, my gosh, one of the best narrators I've ever heard. Chris, I think her name is Ducart, something like that. Chris. Amazing. So, um, no, thank you for sharing with it. And I just love what you said about being unique because we have to fit. I feel like being fit in a box of different genres and even romance has, you know, different genres as well. Um, but... I love that what you said, like your fans will find you. They'll find you and find me, yeah. please. <laughs> <laughs> they find you. They love you. And um, that's amazing because that's that's why I say there was something very different about this being a different kind of romance. And at first I'm like, is it the food? Is it the sex? Like, what is it? So, yeah, no, it's just I guess it's a, just a unique voice, right? I guess Maybe. so. I mean, yes. you know, I don't I don't I I've never read anything like me and I don't. I'm looking. Hey, I would love to find like I would love it if I could find something like me so I could read it without having to write it, you know. <laughs> but um no, I mean this is just this is this was the book I wanted. I wanted you know, sex positive, scientifically accurate sex. I wanted to feel like I was in these places because I traveled a lot and I you know, I still travel a bit, but not as much as I used to because I have a young child. And so Literally, when I'm writing these books, I'm there. I, I, when I stop writing, I blink and I can't believe I'm sitting at my desk in my living room, you know? So it's fun for me to be able to go back to these places. And so really, this was the book that I wanted to, to read. I love Soren and Kieran as male love interests, their flaws. I mean, oh, so here's the other interesting thing, right? So the Jane Austen, I love Jane Austen. And what I love most about Jane Austen is the fact that she explains the flaws of her characters so well that you empathize with all of them, even the jerks, right? Like, like Willoughby, like, oh, Willoughby, (laughs) you know? Um, And so that's really, you know, that's was what I really wanted to do. However, as when I reread Beckend at one point, I said, wow, there's actually like just a lot of Jane, you know, like, right. She, she falls for the wrong guy at first. Just yeah. like always happens in Jane Austen, right? The the Thomas, but Thomas gets redeemed later. Like you kind of understand him later. Yeah, if you even feel sorry for him. Yeah, you, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, poor something guy. right, something bad happens to him. Just like with Willoughby, like Willoughby's in this loveless marriage, and he knows it, you know, um, right? So Soren becomes the person that that needs her to be just like you know mr darcy totally did that right as soon as he found out he went and righted all the wrongs that he had created um so there's actually a lot of i didn't realize how closely i had followed sort of her 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 outlined i mean i don't think it's not a retelling by any means no, you know not at all. Yeah. but like there's definitely a lot more there i was like wow there's a lot here well you you i i think we we read so much and then the form of the, you know, we study the form and that kind of gets in our minds, right? Like the different points of views. Like, I'm like, wait, we're in a different head right now. But it was so smoothly like transitioned. I'm like, wow. You know, so I think we just kind of follow the form of what inspires us. 
Okay, so I'm going to read something from Beck in Part 5, Adrift in Costa Rica. Oh, one of the things I'm also really known for is titling all my chapters. Yeah, I noticed that was different, too. I was like, okay, what's going to, like, I can kind of tell what's going to happen, but not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some there's They're definitely funny some titles, word. too, you know? Like, they're... <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at my, my chapters. It's funny, because I feel pressure to do them, too, because now that people have called them out, they're like... I love your chapter titles. Like, damn it! Now I, now now I have I to be pressure. clever every time. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chapter two: Spinning the cocoon. The pitter patter of warm rain on the roof of the ramshackle room was just loud enough to drown out the partying going on outside. The Pura Vida Invitational, an important stop on the professional surfing contest circuit, was in town, and nothing but faded cotton curtains and useless window screens the mosquitoes still found a way in, stood between Soren and the raucous revelry. The surf contest was why Soren found himself in the quaintly dilapidated boarding house known as the Cabinas de Catorce de Febrero. His Spanish was good enough to recognize the Valentine's Day reference, but whatever romantic images the owner hoped to evoke with the name had been quashed the moment he set eyes on the rundown building. When he landed in Costa Rica, he chose his present destination— a tiny fishing village called Playa Hibisco, by closing his eyes and dropping his finger onto a map printed in the back of his in-flight magazine. At the time, he felt proud of how spontaneous he was being. However, his arrival coincided with the largest surf contest on Costa Rica's western shore, which was still taking place. Because of this, every single decent room in the entire town was taken, which was why he had ended up at Las Cabinas. So anyway, that's how I'm going to read it. I guess you could edit this back into the part where we were talking about how I'm going to read it, but I'm just going to kind of read it. But, you know, I loved how I brought in that he had started reading Jane Austen. Yeah. Like it was just a, it was holding a table up or something like that. It was, it was just randomly there. Yeah. It was yeah. just randomly in the shared kitchen at Las Cabinas, which actually was a real place in this little town that I stayed at in Costa Rica. The suicide showers, I totally got to experience the suicide showers. <laughs> Okay, well, since we're talking about Costa Rica, I have to ask, what does Pura Vida mean to you? You know, Pura Vida is kind of like Aloha, right? Where it's just kind of like everything good that you want it to be in a word. A greeting, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you can't use it in, like love the way Aloha is used. But, you know, when I first got there and they were like Pura Vida all over the place, I, I my brain couldn't calculate like all the ways that they were using it and so I sort of was like you know because my my mom is from Hawaii I was like oh it's kind of like aloha I see you know and finally by the time I left or kind of like when you're in Spain and they're like vale 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 you know it's I guess the way Angelinos use dude or cool right dude 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 um so yeah I think it means you know the Costa Rican kind of hang loose, good vibes, everything's good. Um, it literally means pure life, but it doesn't mean anything like pure life in any of the meanings. Yeah, right? which I thought was weird. Like when I was there, I was like, huh. And then they're like, oh, it's it's kind of like a kuna matata or yeah. it's kind of like aloha. aloha and, I'm like, yeah. and then um, I was staying, I met these entrepreneur ladies uh, while I was down there in Tamarindo, mm -hmm. and which is where Playa Habisco is. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that. Oh, no. Oh. But like when um, I remember when I met you, uh, when you mm -hmm. told me that, I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly Tamarindo <laughs> right now. It is so much like it. And um, 
you know, it, it was like a Pura Vida was just like such a part of the life, which yeah. I thought was really, really interesting because it was um, in Hawaii too, like Aloha, but it was it was very much like um, it was it was just what you felt in the everyday life, like walking with no shoes and you know right. just catching your fish and yeah. <laughs> being able to eat it and you know just being on the beach every day surfing i mean just all of that and then just it being so hot and not wearing makeup and you know right like even if you wanted to wear makeup it wouldn't stay on your face so there's no point in putting it on exactly exactly your hair same thing there's no you don't even need a blow dryer i mean it was just like all yeah (laughs) it was everything no it's just like simple and clean i guess like i guess maybe you know when we talk about like eating clean i think that poravida kind of means like a clean life in that way not like your versus eating dirty, but just like simple and basic and almost because you have no choice, not that you're choosing it, but that you're just, you know, it, yeah, you're, going with the flow, right? Yeah, you're just very, I feel, yeah, you're very minimalistic down there. And also um, it is super clean <laughs> yeah. down there. They put us to shame for sure in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I've never eaten that clean in my life. Yeah, and exactly like some of just the by characters. Cho- like you can't, even, it's, you can't even choose to eat dirty if you wanted to. Like it's just not yeah. even possible, especially like 20 years ago. It was really not possible. You know? Yeah, they've been a little bit more Americanized since yeah. then, unfortunately. But yeah. yeah, even like when you were saying like um, Soren, um, how lean he got and how he was missing like Danish or not Danishes or whatever they call oh, yeah. them. Yeah. Pastries. <laughs> Pastries. Kringles. Like, he was missing all those things. And I was like, yeah, I think I got to that point when I was there too. So those little things just really built the character so well. I just love that. I just loved being in there. Yeah. Heads. I don't think I've ever been that lean again since coming back from Costa Rica. Well, you know, because <laughs> you got to look good in the bikini too. That's the thing. You're going to be on the beach so much and you're going to be in dresses and shorts and everything and when you just don't even have to try. I mean, you're just, you're in the water for six hours. There's nothing to eat but fruit and fish. Yeah. Right? Like you're going to. And gallo pinto. Yeah. Yeah. And gallo pinto. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So between the yeah. gallo pinto and the fruit and fish, you're going to lean out. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But you still have a, a good uh, food experience in every, everywhere they go. I know. I was like, tres leches? Did I have a tres leches in uh, Costa Rica? I don't remember. But oh. yeah, all of that was like, it was, it was fun. It was fun. It took me back through Have you made that recipe? Not the tres leches, no. People love my tres leches. Does it have the same effect as the mango salsa? <laughs> I mean, it's a little, it's a little different because it's not exactly romantic. But yeah. you know, it's my, it's my family's favorite dessert of mine. Yeah. Well, what I loved is that they, they loved watching her eat too. They loved, they knew that it was something that she loved so much, and that was right. part of like the connection with her too. Right for Angela and the dancing. See, I'm a dancer too, and so. Finding a man that's willing, like when Soren didn't want to dance, I was like, yes, that's every guy ever. Like they never want to dance. But, you know, um, having that be so important to her is, is just, it, that was so real. Cause I was like, that's important to me. Well, like, and also really just the fact that he wouldn't even try. Yeah. That he wouldn't too. even and try. Then he gets mad that she's on the floor with someone else, but he knew that was just something that she really loved. Yep. He does try later. I mean, in Costa Rica, but. Yeah, you know, but that was that was just that was really powerful to me. I definitely felt that. I was well, like, and I yeah. felt like that was almost like a through line. Like even though Angela wasn't in Costa Rica, right? Like she kind of was because he couldn't seem to get away from the Pacific Ocean, right? And like she and the Pacific Ocean were just intertwined because he'd only been around it with her. And then you know, here's another woman who's all about food, and suddenly he realizes like he's looking at the food differently because of his time with Angela. And then when he learns to dance, right? He's like oh my god I wish I had done this and so when they the dance scene in New Zealand 
that's like one of my favorite scenes because I was like, yay. Yeah, and you and it's it's hard to make the the action of dance if for people who are non dancers to make it like feel and sound real, right? Yeah, it was really, yeah, it was it was really like as a dancer, I was really picking up on it. I loved it. Yeah, and yeah. I hope people watch because there are actually rumbas of that song, mm-hmm. the uh, "How Deep Is Your Love." You can go- really? you can Google <laughs> oh, wow. "Rumba Dance How Deep Is Your Love" and you can see it, so you can see for yourself how sexy the rumba is. Yeah, it's very slow, and that's in fact, it's funny. I, I put a story on my podcast this morning, like of because my time in uh, Argentina. Um, trying to learn tango and being slow and controlled and holding like a sexy and fierce face is so much harder than like happy and like actually moving fast. Like it's so difficult to like be in line with your partner and things like that. So it's, yeah. I I don't know how you can dance. I don't know how you can dance the rumba and like not, you know, the, I write a little bit about oxytocin, right? The cuddle hormone. Like, you're releasing cuddle hormone all over the place when you're dancing the rumba. Like, it's impossible because you're, like, just putting yourself there. You're just, oh, you know, just feeling that. And it's like, yeah, that's a dangerous dance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to be careful who you dance that with, for sure. Absolutely. So um, we're coming to the end of the episode right now. So let me ask you a closing question. What is your best advice to that young woman out there struggling with writing right now? I would just say, trust yourself enough to just let the words come because, you know, self-editing is just a form of saying no to yourself. So just vomit those words onto the page. It doesn't matter what they're like. I know published authors who have written 75,000 words and deleted 25,000 of them because they were crap. You know, that's going to happen. Just expect it. Expect that it's going to happen. Expect to suck. And then, you know, there's this great guy, um, his, I forget his name. I think Papi Noel was his name. He was a, he's a Hawaiian waterman and he's well known for like, you know, in his eighties paddling between, I don't remember how old he was really, but really old paddling between the islands. And he says, I just expect everything to be hard. And then when it is, I'm not frustrated or annoyed by that. You know, I think we're oversold this idea of things should be easy in American culture, you know, like instant gratification, everything's easy, blah, blah, blah. Just expect it's going to be hard. Expect to stumble. You're going to learn along the way, but trust that your words and your vision have value and just get them onto the page. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank Thank you you for for, having me. Thank you for everything that you've shared. And if you would like to uh, check out Aviva, Aviva. <laughs> you can find her at avivavon.com and you can also follow her on Goodreads, BookBub, or Amazon directly, and you can get notified about any new releases. And of course, follow her on Instagram at avivavon. LA and SoCal, you have a chance to meet her on August 10th at the Love and Devotion event in San Diego. It's not too far. So if you are there, that is August 10th, you can come and meet her at the event. Uh, Love and Devotion. Love and Devotion Love at and the Devotion. Marriott in San Diego. And people can always read book one for free of Beckend by going to smarturl.it slash follow Aviva. Yes. And once you read book one, you'll be hooked. You'll be all the way through book six. So <laughs> I fully recommend it. And like I said, foodies, if you want to... 
uh, if you want like food popping out of the page the way it does on Instagram, you definitely want to check out these books. Uh, and so Aviva, Aviva, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, Creative Minds. I will see you on the next episode.